Amen. We're going to read from Acts chapter 16. So uh, we're going to read from Acts chapter 16 and we're going to read from verse 6. So let's read from verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. I'm going to read that again. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house 
and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God and he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. So we just pray for Nick as he comes up. Heavenly Father, thank you for Nick. Thank you for the work that he does in this church. And we pray now as he brings this message to us and unfolds it for us so that we may also learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Mark. If you want sermon notes to help you concentrate, they're, they're around about um, on the window sills um, down the front. And the words you read on the PowerPoint, they come up in the, in the, uh, the word search. What must I do to be saved? That's the, the cry of the jailer. So who can become a Christian? Why might somebody become a Christian? How does someone become a Christian? And in Acts 16, we see three very different people in very different circumstances become believers in Christ. So we've been dropping into the story of Acts every time it mentions prayer, and it's brought us here to Acts 16. And this is often called Paul's second missionary journey, though actually it starts out with a, with a plan to tour the churches that he's been to before and, and to strengthen them just to go and see how they're doing and bring them some encouragement. And you can find the details of that if you want uh, by turning back a page into the end of Acts 15. But the thing that's different from when we last dropped into Acts, into Acts 13, is the personnel. On the first journey, Paul went with Barnabas and they took along this guy who was John, also called Mark. So I'm going to call him John Mark with them. But he had... He had deserted them um, along the way in the first journey. And so the second time round, Paul, Paul doesn't want to take him again. Um, and Barnas absolutely wants to take him. Uh, and they have a really, um, they have a big argument about it. They have a strong disagreement such that they go their separate ways. So Barnabas and John Mark, they head off to Cyprus. And Paul takes Silas um, instead and heads north through Syria um, into what is now Turkey and along the way they recruit a young guy called Timothy as they go back through Lystra and there, there you go there's the map and you'll notice that when we get to verse 11 Luke starts writing in, in the First person plural, he starts saying we. Um, so along the way, uh, probably at Troas or thereabouts, Luke has joined them there as well. So, um, so Paul from Jerusalem heads up um, through Antioch. That was the church they originally set out from. And they go to encourage these churches in, in Derby. They pick up, um, pick up Timothy in Lystra. And they go on, and we'll talk about in a minute why they go, why they go off to Troas. Um, if you want to do Troas, over to the left a bit. Yeah. Um, and from Troas, that's where they, they heard the man from Macedonia. And then they go across the sea 
Um, and the place where we've read these stories is in Philippi, which is right up just... There it is. There we go. And that's as far as we get for today. Great, thanks. So one of the interesting things about, about this story is, is how they got guided. There's the next slide. So when they were in, in Lystra, which is the middle of, of what we would call Turkey these days, um, they could have gone southwest. Um, so that's what they thought of as Asia, which was towards uh, Colossae or Ephesus. But we read that the Holy Spirit would not, let, would not let them. We don't know what that was. Was it a really strong conviction? Um, the Holy Spirit says just no. Not this, not now. Or, or is it a set of circumstances? You know, the road was closed. Um, or or something, as, something as trivial as that. We don't know. So they could have gone north. They think about going north up to the Black Sea coast. Um, to Bithynia, but again, the, uh, the spirit of Jesus, we read, would, would not let them. And again, we don't know whether that's a simple thing or whether that's just a conviction in their heart. So they did the, really the only thing they could do, which was to camp. The other had to go back home or, or they had to carry on traveling, uh, traveling west. And as they do that, they, Paul has this dream. When they arrive in Troas, which was, we saw that was on the coast there, Paul has this dream of this man of Macedonia um, calling to them, come over and come over and help us. And they concluded, um, which clearly they talked about it, they concluded that God had called them to go and preach the gospel in Macedonia. And I think it's worth, before we go on any further, just looking at some really simple principles of God's guidance here. Um, and the first one is this. In the absence of any other guidance, keep on the path that you are on now. That's what they do. They've tried one thing, the door, the door hasn't opened. Tried another thing, the door hasn't opened. So it, in the absence of anything else, carry on what you're doing. I think it's really quite an important principle um, it, it, in the Christian life. Some people struggle just to, to carry on with what God has put in front of them. Stay in the church that you're in. Stick with the job that you have. Paul says to Timothy, godliness with contentment um, is great gain. If you're in a place where you make an income that's enough, you're in a church that is teaching you the Bible and you're able to grow, um, godliness with contentment is, is great gain. That's the first one. And that's what they do. They, they just carry on the path that they're, they're going <laughs> until God gives them some other direction. Second thing, I think, is that God's guidance comes through sometimes the mundane and sometimes the dramatic. And it comes as negatives and positives. So God's guidance sometimes comes through closed doors. Sometimes the door simply doesn't open. You try to buy a house um, and, it, and it falls through. Uh, you apply for a job but you, but you don't get it. Sometimes just the door, the door shuts on you. And at that point you just have to keep on the path that you're going. And then maybe a clear conviction comes that you can't shake that the Lord is, is, is calling you to something. I um, guess I had that when I was called to, called to ministry. Though for me, it happened a little bit the other way around. I, had, I felt that God had called me to ministry. And then the door opened to go and um, study to teach music. And I had to say no. And then the job that I'd previously wanted um, was offered to me, it was headhunted for, and I had to say no to that. But it, so for me, it happened a, a bit the other way around, but there was this clear conviction. Um, it wasn't a dream. 
But when you have that kind of sense of calling, then the next thing um, is clearly they talked amongst themselves. So the verb says they concluded means they brought together. In other words, they, they used a bit of logic and they talked with each other and they came to a decision. So there are just some simple principles there. I think about the way God has guided them along the way. So if you, if you have the, you know, a, a growing conviction that the Lord's calling you to somebody, to tell it to somebody, that's really your next tester about it. But really I wanted to focus on these three characters um, who have become Christians um, in this chapter. And the first is Lydia. So Paul, in his journeys, he says the gospel is for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. So he goes first um, to where there will be Jewish people. But there isn't a synagogue. I think that's what we're to assume in Philippi. It's a Roman colony, after all. So you needed 10 men, 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue. Maybe there aren't 10 Jewish men. And so there are a group of women, and they're gathering um, outside the city um, in a place that they've, they've, uh, they regularly meet for prayer. She's a worshipper of God. That's a technical term, and it means that she accepts the Jewish beliefs and the practices, but she's not formally become a Jew. She's a businesswoman in a really significant profession. She's the Macedonian agent. We assume for expensive purple cloth from her hometown of Thyatira. Thyatira was, was famous for, for dyes, and, and purple was the, was the imperial colour. Um, purple cloth was, was important stuff. And she believes, as Paul is talking to them, presumably he sat down with them in the place of prayer, and they would have invited him as kind of a, almost like a visiting rabbi to come and speak to them. And she believes because the Lord has, has opened her heart to Paul's message. And that's always the way. It always takes a divine intervention. It always takes a, a moment where the Lord opens the heart to the, to the message of the gospel. And she believes. And she and her household are, are baptized immediately. And she opens her home. And if we read on in chapter 16, we find on later on that this fledgling church is meeting um, in her home. Just noticed again the importance of women um, as patrons uh, in the early church. Second character is, is an unnamed slave girl, and she has this spirit by which she tells the future, and her owners are making a nice income from it. And she starts stalking Paul and shouting um, about the way to be saved. And she says, they're telling you how to be saved from the Most High God, and, and that, that doesn't necessarily mean anything Christian. But she's, going, she's wandering around after them um, and just shouting. And you can imagine that kind of gets on Paul's nerves after a while. Um, or actually, I think we're not supposed to see this as like a kind of fit of peak. But he's troubled. Here is this, here is this poor girl. She's a slave um, to her owner. She's a slave um, to this spirit. She's being exploited. And he's troubled. And in the end, he, he, he turns around and, and casts the spirit out in the name of Christ. And John Stott suggests that we should include her in the new Christians in, because of the way she fits into this passage. because the way Luke arranges this account. But either way, her owners, they drag Paul and Silas into the marketplace um, to face the Roman authorities. Um, they don't say anything about losing income. They just 
they make a religious complaint that they appeal to the, to the crowd's natural anti-Semitism. And the crowd gets worked up and the magistrates have them flogged and thrown into prison. Which is where our third character enters. He's the jailer. And he's told to make them really secure. So it's, it's quite amusing. He kind of finds the kind of deepest cell in the, in the jail. Um, and then he's not only doesn't only want to put them in the jail, he puts them in the, in the stocks as well. And then, at midnight, Paul and Silas are, are praying and singing. Not sure that's how I would have responded. But there they are. They're praying and singing, and um, everybody else is listening. Because I guess it would have been unusual, so all the other prisoners are listening in. Um, when suddenly there's an earthquake, it shakes the prison to the foundations. The doors fly open. I like that picture, Mark, of the drawers flying open. But it was... Um, um, and the chains... And all the chains came loose. The jailer wakes up. I presume he was allowed to sleep during the night. There, were some, there must have been some guards on duty, but maybe not. The jailer wakes up, uh, and he, he just kind of... All the doors are open, and he, he, assumes, he assumes that they're all gone... And he knows what that's going to cost him. And rather than um, face Roman punishment, he's ready to fall on his sword. Before, Paul stops him with an assurance that they're all still there. I think there's a kind of question mark here. What about all those other prisoners? Did they just not make a, make a run for it? I don't know. Um, maybe they're just shell-shocked. But the jailer falls at their feet and asks, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas say, believe in the Lord Jesus. Simple as that. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then he takes them home. He washes their flogged backs. It's interesting that, you know, nobody cleans them up after a flogging, but he takes them home, washes their wounds. Then he gets baptized and puts a meal on the table and, and we're told he's filled with joy. Which begs, I think, just a couple of questions. The one thing is just, these are three people from completely different backgrounds. The first one is she's a wealthy businesswoman, as we saw, from what we would call Asia Minor, so from, uh, from Turkey. She has a house big enough to accommodate four visitors and later on a little church. Then there was a slave girl. She's presumably Greek, local, but she could be from anywhere. Slaves were traded uh, across the world. She doesn't own anything. She doesn't even own herself. And then there's a jailer. He's a retired Roman soldier or an army veteran, most likely. He's kind of middle class. He's a government, middle-level government official. And they are all equal now in Christ. They are equal in Christ. They are equal to Christ, I, I guess we could say. And the gospel speaks to each of them. 
In Christ, Paul will say to the church in Galatia, you are all children of God through faith. For all who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and that's us today. We've talked about it before. We won't talk about it now, but we are all one. Whatever our background, when you've trusted Christ, um, we are all one um, in Christ Jesus. We all have equal status in Christ. We're all equally important to Christ um, this morning. And he loves you all um, with a passion. Though sometimes churches find that hard, which is maybe why Paul writes to this church, this little church in, in Philippi later on, do nothing out of selfish ambition. In humility, value others above yourselves. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So maybe later on, um, there's this mix. How does this, this slave girl and this Roman jailer go to this wealthy woman's house? They go as brothers and sisters in Christ, but maybe the church has to be reminded um, to treat everyone as, as an equal, equal in status. Um, and Paul, I guess, a couple of times in Philippians, he has to remind them to get on with each other. Um, pray that we don't need reminding that. But the second thing is I want to look at three personal needs and responses. And, and the gospel comes to each of these, um, each of the three in a different way, meeting their different needs. So you could say that Lydia has a, a spiritual or a spiritual and an intellectual need. She's looking for something that will make sense of life. She's looking for something spiritual, something beyond, um, beyond the rational. But equally, she needs information. And Paul and Silas give her that information, the gospel that she needs, um, and she trusts it. There's a verb there that says she listened. It's kind of in this ongoing uh, tense so she kept listening um, to Paul and, and to Silas. So she's like the person who's attached themselves to a church or, or religion, but hasn't yet found what they're looking for. She's a seeker. Maybe that's you. And the message of Jesus, it meets her spiritual need. And what's her response? Her response is she gets baptised. That's a sign of a death to her old way of life um, and that she has new life in Christ. So if you want to see the baptisms come again next week. And she opens her home. It's another sign that she's at peace <clears throat> with God in this new community. Slave girl has a different need. She's in double bondage. Slave to her owners, enslaved to the evil spirit. Note, just in passing, that all spirits... Um, that do not acknowledge Christ are evil spirits. All spirits that do not explicitly acknowledge Christ are evil spirits. I'll just 
just in case that comes up somewhere. But she follows Paul around, and I wonder whether that's, I wonder whether that's actually all the response she can make in her powerlessness. All she can do is, is, is follow them around. It's really sad. So she's at, this, she's at this level of kind of almost like a rough sleeper who's addicted to heroin. And the gospel brings her freedom. Freedom from this oppressing spirit. And then she's no longer alone in the world. I guess she's still a slave, and that's probably why Paul makes that later reminder that Christ made himself a slave, made himself a servant. But now she's not bound to evil. She's free from the control of evil, and she has a family. She has brothers and sisters in Christ who she's not known before. And the jailer is different again. He has a life or death moment. And I guess, I wonder whether his life flashes before his eyes. I mean, he's very quick to draw his sword, isn't he? Um, but he knows, kind of, in that moment, whoa, th this is it. Everything is over. And then he realizes that he's had an incredibly narrow escape by the grace of God, the grace that's come to him through Paul and Silas. And I think he must realize, he must realize, I think, then that the earthquake has divine origins. And then he must, he must have some idea that, uh, that Paul and Silas are preachers, you know, that they are bringing a message because he comes and, and falls to their feet and says, what must I do to be saved? The gospel becomes blindingly clear to him as a matter of life or death. The gospel is a matter of life or death. Please don't mistake it for a lifestyle choice or a religious affiliation. It's a matter of life and death. And he responds by getting baptized. He responds by caring for them and by opening his home. And I think there's a really interesting th here thing which challenges me, which I think is when somebody becomes a Christian, they open their home. I think you can't miss out. The slave girl, she doesn't have a home, but the other two does. I mean, presumably, I don't know, he's got, like, <laughs> he's got an apartment on the job. Um, but, they open, but they open their home. Since COVID, there are times when the home's been in the state where I've been too embarrassed to open it. But we have to somehow get past that um, as Christians, as, as people whose, whose homes are open. It's a, it's, I think that's just a truth, that hospitality is something that comes um, out of Christians' response to one another in the family of God. So bottom line is this, Jesus is for everyone. The gospel meets all those different needs. So who are you? Are you a, a, a seeker? Or somebody who's looking? What is the meaning to life? Looking for a spirituality? Maybe you're listening. Maybe you've been listening for a while. Or do you want to know what's going on? Or are you a powerless person looking for release? I think I was very clear before I became a Christian that I was a powerless person. I was, 
I was captive. I wanted to be different, and I couldn't be. Just captive to my own patterns of behavior in my own heart. Jesus set me free. Or are you someone for whom death has suddenly come close? Death just becomes real because something happens in the family or... It's come close to all of us, hasn't it, as a church through, um, through Debbie, that, 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 that shock of the... Um, it, it's a pain to all of us because we're, because we're the body of Christ, that her son-in-law died suddenly. The message of Jesus is for everyone and it comes and it meets all those needs. What's the message? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's what Paul and Silas say to the jailer, though in the next verse it says that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. In other words, they didn't just say that. Um, They said quite a bit more to him. They put a bit more meat on the bones. And the message is this. There is a God. There is a God who is creator. There is a God and he is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He is three persons and yet one being. And God the Son became a person, a human being, in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus is God the Son incarnate. He lived a perfect life before God. And he's the only person to do so. And he sets the standard which is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And on that standard, we have all failed miserably, and we incur God's anger. And knowing that, and knowing that we're bound to that, and knowing that we can't change that, Jesus dies on a Roman cross and by doing so he takes the punishment that you and I should receive from God. But knowing that not only do we need forgiveness which we cannot buy and we cannot earn, even if we had that forgiveness we are powerless to change ourselves because we're bound to our own natures. The Father is prepared not only to credit Jesus' righteousness to you so that you are forever right with him, he will also send you his Holy Spirit. Give you the power to be different, to set you free from old habits, old patterns and an old way of life. And start in practice to look a little bit more like Jesus day by day. That is a gift And it is here for you this morning. And you just take it on trust. You just say, Lord, I I want that. Um, Please give me that. And you just take it on trust. It is a free gift, but it's a free gift with implications because you cannot take the gift without making Christ Lord. So it will have an impact on the rest of your life. But you will receive forgiveness and you will receive God's Holy Spirit. So like the slave girl, you'll be, you'll be free. Like Lydia, you'll have uh, a, an understanding of God. 
And like the jailer, you will be, have resolved the life or death question, which is what happens when I die? Either you go to an eternal death or you go to an eternal life with Christ. So what are you going to do? Let me just pick this up. I meant to do this earlier. I want to give you a chance. So Lydia, she needed some information. Maybe you need to find out some more. Uh, there's a book there called How to Make the Most of the Rest of Your Life. I'll get some more of these out. Um, it's called Knowing God Personally. It's just a little summary. Or maybe ask for prayer. Maybe you just feel you're kind of so powerless that you just can't, you can't get the way forward. Well, then, then ask for prayer. Or maybe you're at that point where you, you just see this is a life or death issue that you've not actually done anything about and you're ready to fall at the Lord's feet and ask him to save you. Well, then come and, uh, and do that with somebody this morning. So we're going to pray. Prayer is just talking to God. You could pray something like this. This is the prayer in the little booklet. And I'm going to pray, and if you want to pray, you can too. Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. I'm sorry for going my own way instead of your way. Thank you for dying on the cross to forgive my sin. Please come and take first place in my life and by your Holy Spirit make me the person you want me to be. Amen.